Hello and welcome back to FinalWhistle.ie for the third episode of the Rugby Show. And as always, we have an absolutely packed show tonight. I'll be joined by commentator Justin Middleton to discuss all things AIL. And I'll also be joined by Belfast Harlequins' Christian Benison. But first of all, where else is there to start other than the women's AIL finals? And Railway Union were crowned champions after a 24-18 win over Blackrock College. Two tries from the ever-reliable Ailsa Hughes, Molly Scuffle McCabe and nine points from Nikki Coffey sealed the win for Railway. I spoke to Lindsay Pete and Jackie Shields after the game. Lindsay, congratulations. Can you try to put that into words for me? Uh, no, it's been a long two years for some of these players. Some of us have been privileged to be an international and that was a long season training, but at least we got rugby and we got together. But some of these players were down keeping the club going when, you know, rugby was, you know, club rugby wasn't allowed. So uh, this is the day for all those, you know, all those young players who wanted to score to get here today to an AIL final and bring home medals. Come at the same time, your side to play really free-flowing rugby and you started with a couple of the tries. Well, is that something you try to maybe base your training sessions around and focus on? Absolutely. Obviously, we do our job on the opposition and what they bring and how we can kind of pick them apart depending on what, how they're going to play us and we did that but um, to be honest yeah what we do is play heads up rugby and make decisions and that what we want to you know players with high IQs that are athletic and can make good decisions and I think we put on a, a little bit of a show today with two very good teams Blackrock like to do the same obviously and Elsa uh, with two unbelievable tries uh, can you talk to me a bit about her uh, I can't say enough about Elsa Hughes I think she's been on the fringes uh, she's worked extremely hard um, and today we exactly seen what Elsa Hughes can do and uh, can she build from here, you know, because I think she's worked extremely hard over the last couple of years since an Ireland jersey. She's been in and out and she thrives on confidence and I just think she was one of the standout players today and uh, I'm just so proud of her. And finally, just to see the, the coverage and the, the amount of people here supporting women's rugby, how good does that feel for you to be playing in front of? Uh, unbelievable to everyone who came live. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And to everyone who tuned in, who watched, who supported us in any way, who wished us good luck, you know, that's what we need, that's the support we need. I can't thank you enough and hopefully today what we put on and hopefully you good guys in the media and, and television putting us out there, we can we've showcased exactly what women's rules we can do in this country. Jackie, commiserations, um, can you try some up what happened just here? Oh look, we knew coming into this that uh, Rail would be a very good side, they're very well organised, they have a very strong pack and some good back line. so we made a few mistakes early on and they capitalised and then we kind of tried to get back into it and I thought we fought really deep, we had a few changes to make, forced changes, um, but I think you look at it, they took their chances better than we took ours. Yeah, and like you said there, you did fight back at the end, that late Emma Hoogan try as well, do you think it was just a case of maybe running out of time in the end? Yeah, I think, you know, it's the first final in 14 years. They've obviously been in a couple of finals recently, so maybe that, you know, experience touched them. Then we've got a lot of older girls, myself included, um, but I think maybe we were probably chasing a bit too hard. First half, you know, they got two tries, and um, we were kind of forcing ourselves to make some effort there. So I think, yeah, I think towards the end, like we had a try, I thought we were back in it, but then we had a few little mistakes earlier or later on, and they just kind of see that out. They were very, they were very composed that last five minutes. They were well able to take the ball into contact. Build the phases, build the phases, and then they just were comfortable in on the ball. And you're certainly a side that are great at, at set pieces. You obviously see with the with Hannah's try off the back of the mall, and then Emma's or Hannah's off the back of scrum, and then Emma's off the back of the mall. Is that something that you concentrate on a lot in training? Yeah, like we have a very strong pack there, you know. And again, we're obviously Laura Feely there was injured, and then we were forced to change Chrissy Hanny, Leinster captain, there earlier on. Now the girls that came on did an exceptional job, but you know yourself when you're forced to make change in your pack, it doesn't alter things a little bit. But I thought the girls stood up very well. But I'm saying that they have a very experienced pack, you know, they have Irish internationals left, right and centre, like you know, ourselves, so 
I think at times, you know, our pack probably be a bit frustrated with what happened there. We, we had a great try in the first half, we had a great uh, line in the second half, but there was one or two that didn't really go to plan. But look, they, that's what we learn. You learn from every game's a learning. Have we learned from this? As a side note, how great is it to have the, the television cameras here for women's club where we finally be getting the recognition it deserves? Oh, look, it's fantastic. You know, I'm coming towards the end of my rugby career and to see these young girls getting exposure. And it's, it's that whole thing, you can't see if you don't, you can't beat if you don't see it. And, you know, there's lots of kids watching. I'm a teacher in Navin, so big shout out to my kids who are watching. Lots of rugby players there who are fantastic. So if girls can't see the game, they're not going to play the game. Um, so it's brilliant. It's fantastic. TG Carter took it on board. It's fantastic. It'll be live streams, the top four games, and hopefully it'll score the game. And I'm enjoying watching the rail get celebrated behind you. But look, it won't be better. We'll just get better. You are Bohemian sealed the third place playoff with a 1917 victory over Old Belvedere, also at Energy Park. Tries from Alana McInerney, Claude O'Halloran, and Emer Constantine sealed the win for the Limerick side. And Setonians were crowned conference competition winners after a 26-0 win over Galwegians. Jessica Kelleher, Nicole Carroll, and Emily McKeown scored the tries for the Dublin side. I spoke to Setonians try scorer Emily McKeown and Galwegians coach Craig Hansbury after the game. Craig, commiserations, uh, what are your thoughts after the game? Yeah, look, Estonians are probably the better team of the day. Um, unlucky for our girls, they, they gave it everything. It wasn't for a lack of effort in yourself from there. Like, each one of them can be proud from where they came from from the start of the year to where they are now. It's, um, it's a great achievement from them. So. Definitely, and you definitely like, you really have a side with great pace out the back with Saskia and Orla Dixon. Is that something that you tried to maybe target at the start of the game? Yeah, our, our back line is up there. Like, it's just gonna get them from that control. And, and finally, just with the game later on, who are you backing for that next? Uh, I'm impartial now, in fairness. I don't mind who wins. It's just, it's a, in fairness, it's a great day for three games being here and then you'll be apart. So, um, hopefully, it's not a nice game and we'll finish off that. Emily, fantastic performance. Can you try some up? How are you feeling? <laughs> um, yeah, look, I'm absolutely delighted. It's my first year in the AIL and I've just like loved every minute of it with Sistonians girls and to top it off with a win is just fantastic. Like we said, each game we were like, we were 5 from 5, let's go 6 from 6. We got our 6 from 6 and to keep it to nil is and it's just unbelievable. So yeah. Definitely. And at the start of the season, was this something that you'd maybe targeted or was it, like you said, just taking everything one game at a time? Yeah, taking it one game at a time, but we definitely had this um, once we knew it was splitting into that conference in top four. You know, it was time to make history. It's the first time that this has ever been, you know, we're the first team to ever win this conference. The first year it's been around, so it's just unbelievable to be a part of it. And then what's next maybe for Setonians? Do you want to try to close the gap on the top four? Is that something that you maybe are aspiring to? Yes, definitely. Like, if you look at our scores from before Christmas and... Um, we were kind of we were getting better and better and better. So I think if we you know were able to break into that, we'd definitely be competitive. Wicklow capped off their debut season in the AAL with a 31-0 victory over Ballon College to seal third place in the conference competition. And Cook also ended their season in fifth place after a 33-5 win over Malone. And there was plenty of senior schools cup action this week as well. And Campbell College have booked their place in the final and where they will face Methodist College on Paddy's Day. They beat Wallace High by 28 points to 6. Adam McKendry has the interview. So they got the, the yesterday's semi-final, but you said 
managed to muscle your way there over the line. We did. Um, yes, bit of a change from yesterday. You know, scorching day if you like. But uh, today was, the conditions were difficult. Wallace uh, played very well. Made life very difficult for us. And um, just their defence, obviously, as well on the line. Like, yeah. They had a few more scores in the first half, but they were throwing themselves into it. Well, yeah, we, did, we just lacked accuracy in the green zone there. Um, didn't take the chances. Then Wallace put us under pressure. Um, and we had to work very hard to, to, you know, to get to where we were in the end. Um, but we're happy to be there. Some really, really big performances. Uh, in your pack especially as well, in conditions like that, like just how, uh, how good a unit has that been on here? Yeah, talking to them, they're excellent now, they're great guys, but um, either the spine of the team is, is based around them, you know, Zach Solomon, Joe Hoops, Longstaff, Ollie McCauley, they're just you know, they're senior players, um, who can play a bit as well, you know, and, and get stuck in, but um, very much like the Methodist team as well, you know, so we'll not get too far ahead of ourselves. Singing then, just obviously with the uh, the way he's played there today, especially those forwards that you mentioned, and that, uh, that Methody team is sort of shaping up to be a good battle there. Yes, well, no, I mean, Methody, the place in 15 man rugby as well, you know, there's some dangerous guys out the back line, so um, we'll need to get our, our homework done for that game and improve from today, but we're, we're delighted to be in the final, and uh, this gives us a target to, to get ourselves ready. What are the big work-ons going into the final? Our big work-ons are just to be more effective with the ball, in the green zone to keep that um, and a few other areas just game management wise but we'll you know we're, we're happy we're growing that out and uh, just that's what had to be done today. You mentioned the game management you had to weather a little bit of a storm at the start of the second half Wallace came back quite well got those two penalties but how big was that third try because that was the one that sort of took the wind out of their sails and yes. swung it back in your direction. Yes I mean Wallace we knew they were going to they were gonna come at us you know they're they're really well coached. They're always very effective breakdown wise, um, but it just took you know it, it, it took us a while to get into our stride. But the third try, as you said, it just eases that wee bit of pressure, and then boys can relax and uh, you know then they started making the right decisions. And obviously, as we were talking about before the game, you've got your guys in the medallion final. You've had your other teams in the finals as well, and now the first are into the schools cup final. I mean, how proud are you of? The rugby throughout the school, not not just the first team. Yes, I'm massively proud, massively proud, massively proud of the staff and it's the staff across all the teams, all the age groups. Um, Gareth Fry, Sam McBurney done a fantastic job with their medallion, which then gives us momentum. Our second fifteen, Richard McMaster uh, and James McKinney, um, have done a great job, and the pressure's on us to deliver, uh, which is a great thing. It's an internal pressure that, that we that we get the finals. It's, it's something. It's it's not an expectation, but it's a hope. But um, we're delighted to be there, and we've got two weeks to, to get ourselves ready. Rematch of the 2019 final as well. It is indeed. It is indeed. Yes, no, we've, we've had a few battles with these guys. You know, and I know Nick Wells very well, and you know some of the players. So it's, it's you know, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a big task. You know, but we very much look forward to it. It's good for me. Yeah. Good. Crescent College booked their place in the Munster School Senior Cup final after a 17-15 win over Bandon Grammar School. So they will play PBC Cork in the final and Tom Clancy has all the post-match reaction. Oh Lee, uh, what a second half of rugby that was. It's uh, it, First of all, forgetting the result and forgetting how it went for you, a great advertisement for schools rugby. What a fantastic uh, second half. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Heart-stopping stuff. Um, quite literally, uh, back and forth and 
we thought we were out of it and then we got back in the end. Um, but no, absolute great advert for Schoons Rugby. What about your number eight, Ruan Quinn? Uh, I, I know it's a team game, of course, you're going to say it as a coach, but to come up with three tries and to have the composure, especially going into stoppage time there, you've, you've made a mistake at the back, you've, you've conceded a try, but he's... he's Look for the ball time and time again in those phases. I think maybe three or four times he carried, gets over. That was pretty pretty good individual play, must say. Yeah, he's a real talisman for us. He's been showing up like that all year. Uh, and like you said, you can see that he kept showing up again and again. And there was times when Bandon dealt with him, but uh, that didn't put him off. He came back for the next phase and carried the ball again. So, uh, yeah, shown a great example to the other lads, I suppose. What about the composure from the team, though? As I say, you were blocked down there, you can see the try under your own sticks, and it all looks lost, really. The clock is against you. The composure to, to go up the field, you forced a mistake from Bandon. So, a real testament to the team that there's character there, that they didn't give up the ghost when, you know, it would have been, a, a, the easy option would have been to just let Bandon, you know, see, see it out and, and take the victory. Yeah, 100% a testament to their ability and their heart, I suppose, that they were able to get back into the Bandon half, turn over the ball, uh, and go again and get the try in the corner. Uh, so we're absolutely delighted with it. We couldn't be prouder of them. And the final now, uh, later this month, looks like a home advantage against uh, against the boys from Cork that you've already faced. So that's something, obviously, that everyone's going to be buzzed about. But So how do you bring the guys back down to earth, I guess, in the next uh, couple of weeks and, and try and focus on that game? Yeah, the final looks like it's going to be in Tolman Park on Tuesday the 15th, I think. So, uh, But for us, I suppose, it's just about managing our recovery uh, towards the end of this week and then get back on the pitch, uh, maybe at the start of next week. Uh, there won't be much contact, I'd imagine, because the bodies will be quite sore. It's just a little... Uh, technical things that we need to be working on uh, over the next 10 days or so. Yeah, and what, just pick up that point there, technical things. What, what If there was negatives from today, I, I know it's always good to come out on, on the right side of a result like that, but what would you pick up initially, your initial thoughts to say, well, that didn't go right for us today, we, we need to improve that big time before the final? Uh, we pride ourselves on our skills and a couple of passes went straight today, so that's something we'll look at, uh, maybe pass selection. Uh, and then the other thing was the couple of clearance kicks there, especially the box kick. Uh, we put ourselves in a bit of trouble in the second half especially so. So we'll be looking at that and looking at how we can manage that a little bit better next time. Sligo Grammar School beat Maris College Athlone by 18 points to 6 to seal their place in the Connacht final. Klosh Ignan take on CBS Roscommon tomorrow where the winner will play Sligo Grammar School. And finally, there's plenty of Leinster School Senior Cup action in the next week with Newbridge facing Belvedere, Blackrock facing Terran Yore, Gonzaga facing Wesley and Mary's taking on Kilkenny's all in the quarterfinal. But I'll now be joined by AIL expert and commentator Justin Middleton. Justin, how are you? I think you're just on mute if you want to unmute yourself. Alec, um, sorry about that. Thanks thanks for having me. It's um, I'm doing well in yourself. I'm doing very good. And I suppose over the last while, uh, a lot of people who watch a lot of maybe club rug rugby around Ireland, they nearly so associate your voice with the game. So talk a bit. How did you first um, get into commentary and how did you first realise that you want this was something that you wanted to do? Um, it, goes, it goes back a long way, but I've been watching, you know, rugby since I was a small boy, basically. And I've always had this itch to do commentary at some stage. Um, and basically about five or six years ago, I just decided I have to start somewhere. And um, I asked a commentator in New Zealand, one of my favorite commentators, you know, if there's any chance of getting into it and how you start. And he just said to me, essentially what you've got to do is practice like you're at the game behind the television set and write down the players and formation and 
commentate like you basically at the game. So I took his advice to heart and I did that for 25 games, probably more than what he probably told me to do. But I did it for 25 games through the whole of 2016. Um, and I've actually still got that footage today, but I don't want to go back to it because it's probably very cringe. Um, and then I just put a highlight reel together. I met with one of the lead South African commentators and I just asked him what he th thought of this. And luckily at that time, there was a streaming platform that started in South Africa called School Sport Live. And he sent my demo through to them and they gave me a chance. And I, you know, it was a bit of um, preparation and luck at the same time because School Sport Live was starting to expand. And basically from early 2017 to the end of 2019, I was their lead commentator and I called about 100 games, uh, over 100 games um, at school level. But then, as we know, you know, uh, most people, well, not most people, a lot of people in this industry might have other jobs and I have a day job and um, I got an offer to move to Ireland and I couldn't refuse it. Um, so that came end of 2019. And I always knew that, you know, even with moving away from South Africa and doing so well and moving up the ranks, a very big risk from a commentary perspective to move. I made a promise to myself that I wouldn't stop. Um, so moved over here, took about a month or two, you know, November, December to really just get my feelers out there. Um, I was just messaging everyone. And then luckily in about January, it was two months after I got here, the Irish Rugby Football Union, they, um, one of their um, employees messaged me and just asked me if, you'd, if, if I would like to do the Junior Cup final between Dremont and Kilfiekel. So that was in January 2020. Did that was was absolutely amazing. Um, couldn't believe the turnout at a club game, to, to be quite honest. Um, and then in February, I did, February 2020, I did... Uh, Scottish clubs, Irish clubs, which was also quite cool because it's almost like an international game. Then through that, I got put into the club scene. Old Belvedere gave me a shot, gave me two games. And then this wonderful pandemic started. Um, and then there was what you call it in rugby terms. There's probably a seventh or eight, eight month, well, not, but actually about a six month break. Then they brought in that Leinster Community Series, Energy Series. Um, and then I got to do about three or four games then. Um, for Old Belvedere, but then again, it, it, it just stopped. Um, and then we were basically without club rugby in Ireland for an entire year. And then things started back up in um, the end of September, um, I think when the first proper live stream was of the season for the Leinster Senior League Cup. No, Leinster, all the names are so confusing. It's the Leinster <laughs> Senior oh, League Division <laughs> 1 final, um, but there's also the Leinster Senior Cup. So you can imagine a foreigner trying to work out all these different competitions that all sound the same. But yeah, then it basically started with that Contoff Dansdown final, um, which Dansdown actually won. Um so that's that's a whistle stop tour um of of my career. Obviously I could go into a lot more detail, but that's probably a story for another day. And if I can kind of bring you back in time a bit to, to maybe the, the first game you commentated on were you, were you nervous? Were you, were you very apprehensive about it? Or can you kind of talk me through maybe your your mind your mindset go, going into that game when you when you saw you were going live and there was no going back really, Justin? Um, it was look, yeah, 
the first, I think that my entire game of the first game was I hated it. Um, I just thought I was going to get comments and I thought, what the hell am I doing? This is totally different from, you know, doing those 25 games at home. Um, but it, it was actually like a really strange feeling because when I was driving home, like I actually realized that that was absolutely amazing, like the experience. But when I was doing it for the first time, that, that entire game, I just remember it almost felt as if I was commentating on a touch rugby game before school with a whole lot of students running around. Um, but, you know, I, I suppose most people in the industry are quite critical. And it was just that first live opportunity where I was just doubting myself the entire time and thinking, what the hell am I doing? This is just embarrassing. Um, but that was all in my mind. Obviously, it wasn't embarrassing because then they wouldn't have given me more games. But that's the type of... I, I don't think everybody goes through that, to be honest. Maybe a lot of people would have been, you know, they would have been involved in radio or um, they would have been journalists before going into commentary. So they might have that media expertise. But for me, it was literally like jumping into the deep end. Um, but that feeling only lasted one game. And you mentioned it there that you were kind of jumping in at the deep end. Had, had you no maybe experience in, in media or in, let's say, match reports or anything before that? Or did you just kind of went straight into commentary, was it? Nothing. The only experience I had was um, behind the television set. So I would, so I recorded all those games and I would actually release. Um, I'm actually glad that account got suspended. Um, but I released like 30 second clips of tries um but I've, i'm sure you've seen it all on twitter a few pages have got into trouble um in mm. terms of sharing content um and a lot of people have actually made like big platforms and they've been very successful we don't have to point them out but i was very upset when my account got taken out because i was just like i'm just trying to be a commentator but like all my clips got taken down and my whole instagram account got like suspended um, I'm just trying to be a commentator, you know? Um, so yeah, that's the only kind of maybe experience I had that was close to the actual live experience, um, was that whole portfolio that I built up. And obviously you mentioned also earlier that you started off with them school games when you're in South Africa and I kind of myself as an Irish rugby fan growing up, I felt whether I was talking to uncles about rugby or let's say my granddad, it was always like at the Northern Hemisphere against the Southern Hemisphere. And as someone who has seen kind of with their own eyes, like schools rugby in South Africa, schools rugby in Ireland, is there a big difference or is it kind of uh, quite similar? What are the differences? So in Ireland, I've only done three school games. And um, that's, you know, mostly because of the pandemic. And in South Africa, their stream, there's so many games that are showed live, you know, each week. I think, I, like I said, I did over 100, 100, 100 games. So that's over the course of two and a half years, you're looking at like 40 games a year. Um, but what I can say from three games is it's actually quite similar um, in that the, it's at school level, they play with such freedom. So if it's not a wet, a wet day, um, it is quite free-flowing. But what I will say, is that the games that I've done have been knockout games. So the first school game I did here was New, Newbridge versus Blackrock Junior Cup final. So that was a very tense feeling and the stem was packed. 
Um, so you, even though it was, you know, open rugby, so to speak, there was a lot of tension and you could feel that it was a final. And then, you know, with the Venster Senior Cup, they were, they were top 16 games, so only the winner's going to go through. So again, exactly the same feeling with full crowds. So from that, you could, it's kind of comparing apples with oranges, but from that point of view, it was very, like, I just find it more intense in terms of the need to win. But, you know, you can't really compare that to South Africa because South Africa doesn't really have tournaments. It's just like a league. And if you've won 12 out of 14 games and you beat your biggest rivalry, you've had a very good season. Whereas, at the, yeah, it's like you need to win the then the Senior Cup, you know. So, but what I will say is that the freedom with which um, the players, you know, how they can express themselves and how they let the ball go wide. Yes, sometimes they play conservative because it is a cup final, but I actually found the schoolboy rugby feeling quite similar from a commentary perspective, if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. It really does. And I think something that you're very familiar with, obviously, is Division 1A of the All-Ireland League. And where else is there to, to kind of start but Clontarf and Lansdowne um, just last weekend? What did you make of that game? Jeez, I'll, I'll tell you what, I was very happy to be behind the posts in the commentary box locked away from that Clontarf side because I haven't, I haven't, so obviously I, I saw them because I commentated on the Lansdowne Clontarf against the Senior League Division 1 final. But it almost felt like it was an absolutely different side, and, and rightly so, because they've won 13 out of 14 games. But their forward pack is just next level. Um, so, so physical. They're tight five. It's just, it, it's it's ridiculous. You can just see that at another level. And, you know, their hooker, for argument's sake, Dylan Donovan has scored 13 tries in the season in 14 rounds. You've got Alex Soroka, you got Tony Ryan, the number eight, their lock combination, um, Mick Carney and Cormac Daly. It, it's, they've just got a phenomenal team. Um, ben Griffin, the tight head prop. Um, then they've got Ado Darcy, who's the brother of Matt Darcy in the back line. And I think where they actually were underrated over the past few weeks, everyone goes on about their forward pack. I'm going on about their forward pack, but their back line is also super impressive. Just their entire balance of play. Um, and how they pick their moments. And one of the tries they scored on, on, on Friday night, um, so they actually only scored three points virtually the whole of the first half, and they had tons of opportunity, but they just kept going after the hands down. And they tried just before halftime to go into the lead. Um, 140 seconds, 17 phases, the hands down was so good in defense, and they eventually scored in the corner. And it just that just tells you something as well, is they've got so much composure. Um, and then they carried that through into the second half. Lansdowne did really well to contain them. But you could see, you know, late into that second half, you, it really made sense um, as to why Klontoff have won 13 out of 14 games. And it's because their game plan is magnificent. And they've got a scary forward pack. And their back line knows exactly what to do with the ball. And their skipper, Matt Darcy, is absolutely amazing. 100%. And obviously sitting nine points clear now at the top of the table ahead of Lansdowne. Can you see any maybe, obviously we're heading into the, the business end of the season. Can you see a late push by anyone? Or do you think it really is Clontarf to, to, to lose at this stage? So 
with four rounds to go, right? There's twenty points up 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 for grabs. Um, so if you look at Lansdowne in second place with fifty, the maximum they can end up on is seventy, right? I think Contoff, if even if they average, they'll finish top. Um, and the reason why I say that is is their next their last four games are Tiranier, Corcon, Nahench, and UCD. So let's just say they have two upsets against Tiranier and Corcon. They're probably going to beat Bally Nahench at home, yeah. and they're probably going to beat UCD away. So that immediately almost takes you up to about 70 points. And you'd like to think, or from Contav's perspective, they would like to think that they'd probably at worst get a losing bonus point against Tiranio or Corcon. Um, I think, you know, for Tiranio, although they've won 10 games on the bounce, um, you can be quick to point out that at the beginning of the season, they started off with a victory against UCC. But they lost against Lansdowne, then they lost against Young Munster, then they lost against Clontarf, then they've won 10 in a row. But now they're coming up against those three teams that they lost to at the beginning of the season. And they've won 10 on the bounce. And you've got to wonder, is the engine, you know, going to slow down? Um, but having said that, I think that they, sh they, they should still be comfortable. Definitely. And then in terms of maybe the other side of the table, obviously UCC bottom on six points, Ballying a Hinch on nine points, or UCC, yeah. And then UCD then on 24 points. Do you think it's maybe a, a toss of a coin between Ballying a Hinch and UCC that could really be in trouble this year? Well, the whole thing is, is that the, because of COVID, it's one up, one down, right? I know the rules are changing all the time. So I'll just check with you if that's also the latest. That yeah, it is. Yeah, I just, that's my have anyway. <laughs> So, Ballyn Hinch and UCC, so technically speaking, you know, numerically, they could still, like, avoid relegation if they can pick up 15 points out of 20 and UCD pick up nothing. So, it still yeah. is possible. But I think it's going to be a toss of the coin. It doesn't matter how bad Ballyn Hinch play in the next four games or how bad UCC play in the next four games because there's going to be a home and away in that... Um, Relegation playoff. So, yeah. yeah, it's going to be a playoff home in a way. And, I mean, that could go either way. Um, and I, I tell you what, that's going to be very exciting. Although, you know, COVID has thrown a spanner in the works of this one up, one down. I do think the 9 and 10 um, playoff home in a way is going to be so exciting. and will be a great watch. So Definitely. Intense. So... Yep. And then if, you, then if we move down then to, to 1B and maybe any other year, Old Wesley would be absolutely buzzing. 12 points clear at the top of the table. But as you said a couple of minutes ago, it is just it's whoever gets that top four, it has to play off. So what way do you see 1B maybe playing out in the final few weeks? I think Old Wesley will definitely finish top. And, and to be quite honest with you, I think they'll be very disappointed if they don't win, win this league and, and win the knockout phases. And, and the reason being is that, you know, their next game, they've got Nace at home on the 4G pitch. They've got Navin away and they've got St. Mary's at home on the 4G pitch. They do go to Shannon away. You could understand, you know, a loss to Shannon away. But the whole thing is, is that they are going to be at home on their 4G pitch. And they haven't lost at Energy Park since the 15th of February 2020 against Shannon. And, and, Shannon, you know, might have a bit of nightmares about Energia Park because at the beginning, 
of the league this year. They lost in the dying seconds through her own Deegan try um, right at the end. So I'm not saying it can't happen, but I think if old Wesley play well, I know it's, it's cliche, but if they even play, you know, 80% of, of their full 100% capacity, I think they should win. Um, it's going to be very difficult. I think most of these, you know, I'm not just using the 4G as an excuse. I'm just saying, obviously, it's home advantage. That's what they play on, and it's a fast-paced game. Um, and most of the other clubs don't really have that experience, but I just don't see. We'll get a very good idea this weekend. Nice, right? They're in a very tricky situation. You might be you might be asking why. They are third place, and they've had a really great season, but they're sitting on 45 points, closely followed by Shannon and St. Mary's and 42 and 41 points. But the problem for Nace is they've got Old Wesley away on the 4G pitch, and then they've got Highfield, right? Yeah. So how are they going to get points there? Like, it's going to be very, very difficult. Um, and that could be a little bit of a potential problem for Nace because if they pick up no points, Shannon and St. Mary's probably will pick up points in the next two rounds. But having said that, St. Mary's end off for their last two games of the season against old Wesley and Highfield as well. And so I just, yeah, I, well, old Wesley have actually surprised me. Um, I know they were second when, when the pandemic struck for the 2019-2020 season. But when they played Highfield with their only loss of the season down at Woodley Park, um, I thought that might be a turning point and they might lose a few games after that just because of the confidence levels. But they were actually only really outplayed in that game for five minutes when there was like a 14-point swing with a few yellow cards. But other than that, they have just they just know how to win and they've got a very good game plan and their defense is incredible. Um, so I just see them being very, very difficult to beat. And then if just finally, if we, if we go down to the bottom of 1B, um, Navin obviously had a big win over City of Armagh last week. Uh, make some put some level on points at Banbridge, but on 18 points, and Malone just sitting at on 21 points in eighth place. Um, it's a, it's a very tight one again. Who would you think could be dragged down there? Just a quick one on Navin that that was super impressive against City of Omar because Navin, you know, they haven't been having a great season. They lost 62 0 against Shannon the week before, and then to come up against sixth place City of Omar and actually get a win is incredible. But very good point that you picked up. Banbridge and Avon both on 18 points. They play each other this week. Malone sitting on 21 points, three points clear of playing Highfield away. Yeah. So if Malone don't pick up points, potentially Banbridge or Navin, you know, could get out of the relegation zone. Um, so that's also very, very interesting. That Banbridge Navin game. Banbridge are at home. Banbridge will be very difficult to beat at home. You you would think that they are probably the favourites against Navin, and they probably should get out of the relegation zone this week. Um, but then again, you know that's one week out of four. They still got three games after that. Um, and also, Bolvo are not in the clear. No, they... no twenty twenty seven points only. And I suppose that those sides that we were talking about, they picked up a couple of wins and got a bit of momentum. It's a, re, it's a time of the season that you don't want to be dragged down there, isn't it? And you, you need that momentum. Exactly. And you look at, there's still 20 points up for grabs, right? So, Bolvo are nine points off ninth, right? But it is very possible for them to lose against Shannon this week. 
Malone away from home is a crazy, crazy difficult ask to get a victory. Even though you know they've only won two, it's very difficult to come come out of there with a win. They've got City of Omar and Nace, but potentially they could lose all four. <laughs> it's it's possible. Um, yeah. So this one B, you know, one A has been is has been really good. But one one B, you know, anyone can beat anyone on any given day. That can happen in one A, but through the course of the season, one B has really showed us that. You, you just look at Banbridge and Navin, yes, they're bottom of the table, but they've won three games each. And yeah. they can both get out of relegation zone. You compare that to one A, Bailey and a hinge of fifteen points clear at the bottom um, below eighth place. Yeah, absolutely. And Justin, thank you so much for, for joining us this week. And uh, we've had a brilliant look at Division 1A and 1B and a bit on your background. So um, we'll have to get you back on maybe towards the end of the season to see how your predictions are, are coming through. Thanks. Thanks, Luke. I'll let you know if any of them have changed. Perfect. <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> Cheers, you. Thanks for being on the show. Cheers. And then just a quick run through Division 2A in the AIL. And Queen's University did lose last week to Cashel. Um, and that's 10 wins in a row now for Cashel, but they are still 10 points behind them in the standings. Uh, Buccaneers are in third place uh, and did lose to UL Bohemians by 17 points to 14 last week, but do face Old Crescent this week. Ballymena also lost last week to MU Barnhall by 31 points to 12, moving Barnhall up into fifth place. And then down the bottom is Nina Ormond in ninth place on 22 points. Um, after they had a big win over last place, rainy old boys, 38-0 last week. And then moving on to one of the most competitive leagues in the AIL, Division 2B. And Greystones with just their second loss, with their second loss in a row, I should say. Um, Blackrock coming out 21-17 winners at the weekend. But they face Balanna next. But they will be very eager to get back to winning ways. Um, and then this is where it really is starting to get even with Galway Corinthians in second place on 46 points and a very narrow win over Wanderers last weekend by 20 points to 19. Uh, Belfast Harlequins then sitting in third place, a good win over Galwegians last week, 18 points to eight. And Blackrock College then are sitting in that all-important fourth place in the top four on 43 points after that big win over Greystones. But they do still have a game in hand over their rivals after a game against Sligo was postponed. And down the bottom then, Malahide, four wins on the bounce, sitting in eighth place. They face Wanderers next. And Galwegians still without a win since match day one, sitting on just six points. And then in Division 2C, it's Enniscorsi who are still top of the table after a big win over second place Scaries last weekend by 27 points to 15. Uh, so Banger are in third place after a 22-15 win over Oma Academicals. Tullamore are in that important fourth spot on 41 points, and they are 10 clear ahead of Middleton, who are sitting in fifth. And then down the bottom of the table, there is just four points separating seventh and tenth, with Brough, City of Derry, Clonmel, and Sunday 12 sitting bottom of the pile. But now we will be joined by Belfast Harlequins player Christian Benison. Christian, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Luke. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. Well, it's great to finally get a get an AIL player in and involved with a with a club as well. So, um, I think first of all, I just ask you, how, how are you feeling about the season so far? Are you happy with the side's performance? Um, I think sitting where we are with sort of four games to go is pretty good. Um, over the last number of years, we've had a massive influx and um, outflux of players and coaches alike. Um, we've obviously been in one B, then two A, and then two B, and then um. 
I suppose from a club point of view, we needed that stability, which we got with um, sort of Nicky Wells. Um, he moved on and then sort of Neil Dokes come in with uh, John Andres and Dan Tui. And I suppose the, the club's just been going from strength to strength, sort of on and off the field with a massive influx of players. Um, the coaching staff are obviously top of their game um, and there's a really good sort of good feeling around the club at the moment. It's, uh, it's a nice place to be in. Absolutely. And that was kind of leading into my next question as well. Your previous two finishes have been in eighth place in 2B. And I suppose this season, you came out like a team possessed at times, sitting in third place now, well in the mix for promotion. And what has the, it really, what have been the changes kind of behind the scenes? Is it a change in mentality or just kind of back to the drawing board sort, sort of thing at the start of the season? I suppose Dougie came in um, with sort of the end of sort of 2019-2020 season um, and instilled his own philosophy and his own sort of game plan and what he wanted everybody to be doing. Um, we've had a massive influx of players, as I've sort of mentioned, and I think that's been a real collective. It's a lot of young guys. You know, the average age of our front row is 22 um, playing at AIL level, which is pretty good. Um, we have a few experienced heads in there as well sort of just driving the team and um, we've Paddy McAllister who's sort of working um, for the club whilst um, playing with James McKinney also um, involved with the coaching staff and the, and the players so having that sort of mentality of, of winning things from a professional environment um, mixed within with the coaches as well as the young guys coming in coming through with all their enthusiasm really I think has um, it's sort of given everybody a new lease of life you know having rugby for sort of two seasons really um, everyone was itching to get back and I think the goal from everybody really is enjoy the rugby but actually let's go out and fight for, for every inch this season Definitely and like like I mentioned beforehand Division 2B very competitive this season like any team could go out and beat anyone you, you saw it last week with, with Malahide against um, against Wanderers um, or yeah and then I suppose out of all the players that you you've, or teams that you've played this year is there anyone who has maybe stood out as your maybe favourites or who you think are the strongest in the league? I think, um, you know, Greystones obviously were sort of running away with the league just before Christmas and then had some close fixtures sort of after Christmas, which is sort of, um, you know, reined them back in a wee bit. I think <clears throat> our away trip to Wanderers is probably the biggest result that I've seen for us and sort of, oh my goodness, how did we lose that by so many? Um, considering we'd beat them at home albeit just about, um, but it was sort of a shock to the system for, I think, the boys and just thinking, I don't know how this is going to go. So for me, watching that game, I, I think they're, they have to be up there with, with one of the teams to sort of beat, um, especially down at their place where I think they're you know they're going pretty well, um, sort of at a home record. So um, for me, Wonders, yeah. And um, I suppose at the start of the season, if I can jog your memory back to the base, obviously now that you're sitting in the top four, promotion is going to be something that you're really going to be aspiring towards. But at the start of the year, did, did you set yourself goals as a side of what would be maybe an acceptable finish or, or what were the goals? The immediate goal when Dougie came in was promotion. I think you know everyone plays rugby for a reason, um, whether it's a social reason or competitive reason. I think... From where the club's been and where it is now, I think the the obvious um, goal was was promotion. We we knew by the sort of caliber of players that we had at the club already, and the players that we were sort of recruiting in terms of props and second rows, which we sort of lacked over the last few seasons. We really sort of built a bit of depth there. Um, I think promotion, although each game we have to take it, you know, as they come. 
it has to be the you know the sole focus and i think for us it, it was the sole focus and sort of still is the sole focus is is really yes taking each game by you know as it comes but really you know we need to we need to fight for the promotion um sort of promotion battle absolutely and obviously the season isn't finished yet but is there a highlight that has maybe stuck out for you or a turning point of the season um as a player so for me i played um there's probably three. Um, one's probably the obvious big win against Greystones. I think after losing narrowly at home, I think the boys turned up and really, you know, were physical from the from the first whistle to the last whistle. Um, and I think that sort of put a marker down to the rest of the league. So that was a really nice sort of victory. Um, the first game of the season against Malahide. Malahide were favourites during the sort of COVID disrupted season. Um, they ran away with the league, and then. Um, we had a mix, very mixed pre-season and coming into the league, we knew that they were going to be an incredibly tough outfit to beat and getting over the line against them was fantastic. And then the third one has been um, actually against Sligo. You know, we were back to the wall, 22 points to three down, sort of 20 minutes to go, turned it around, 133-22. It's a team that we've never beaten. Um, in six encounters, we've only beaten them once, um, which was at home. And I think that really, for me, was... Sort of looking at the boys, being like, you know what, well, we we might actually push here for for promotion. And I think without that win against Sligo, I don't think we would be in the battle that we're in now. Yeah, and I actually uh, I watched a couple of highlights and I, I kept up to date on the, on the social media streams from that. And it was a I was nearly I was because I do a couple of roundups after the the Saturday of the games. And when when I saw the score twenty two three to Sligo, I even had um written written these off. But it was some unbelievable play in that second half to bring yourself back around. And if I can kind of, I have you kind of looking backwards and stuff, if I can look you forward maybe in five years' time, even on a personal note, where would you like to see Belfast Harlequins and, and you being? It's hard to say. You know, we, we want to be in the top leagues. I think that's pretty obvious. So if I said 1A, is that unrealistic within five years? Probably not with, with the players that we've got. You know, we're, we've a very young squad, the average age being 25. Um, that squad's just going to go from strength to strength. Um, and I, I would love the club to get back up to 1A, which is where we've been before and competing right at the top of the leagues in the playoffs. Um, realistically, I think 1B over the next five years would be really, really, really good. Um, just from where we were two, three years ago when I sort of joined the club um, to now where we're going. Um, I think, you know, if we have, we retain everybody that we already have and, and add to that, obviously, um, I think we could really push that certainly 1B um, and if not 1A. And I only saw there a couple of days ago Niall Anna, a former Belfast Harlequins player joining Bass and does that give you as players and the, maybe a family friends or teammates of him in the past, does that give you a real boost as well as seeing some that you know going on and playing at the highest level? I think so. You know, Niall's been a stalwart of Quinns for, for many years and um, family and stuff have been involved at the club. And um, brothers have played alongside both um both brothers. So it's great to see somebody so local and actually somebody so personal and um personable who just sort of chats to you and almost acts like he's you know, everyone knows that he plays sort of professional rugby, but he doesn't act like somebody that plays professional rugby if, if that makes sense. Um and is a very sort of nice guy, will happily come and sit and chat to us, no problem if we asked him if he would come on a, a podcast or, or something like that. So it's great to see somebody so nice doing so well um and i suppose we've you know we've passed players jacob stockdale played for the club um with sean reedy that used to play for the club ricky lutton lots of players that have done very well 
um, obviously playing for the club and it's great to see these guys obviously excelling in, in their sort of careers. Definitely. And one thing that I, I always nearly associate with Belfast Harlequins is how active you are on social media and how much of a help that is to journalists like myself who are trying to get a bit of information <laughs> on matches and stuff that's up to date. And is that something that's very important to a club being very active on social media and putting yourselves out there? I think so. I think I I run the social media accounts and it was sort of taken on as a bit of a hobby um, a few years ago. And it was more looking at, um, I think, Bristol Bears when they started sort of in the premiership and rebranded as the Bristol Bears. They had a great social media sort of a team. You know, they had really good videos, very good graphics and, and memes and things. And it was very good and very interactive. And I thought, actually, why not do something similar local rugby? Yes, it's local rugby and it's not going to get as much traction overall. But actually, I think we look at the crowds that we've had for some of the AIL games. We've had 150, 168 lunches, which we haven't had since we were in 1A. Um, the bar's been full. There's live music playing. Um, I think the whole promotion around the club, everything is now digitalised. Everyone's got a phone. You type in Belfast Harlequins in the Google and there's lots of images that will come up of players of the matches and you know scores. And, and, and it's nice to see that that has now started to filter into sort of people actually coming up and saying, oh, when are Quinn's playing direct messages asking, you know, when the next, when's the next game? Can we book in for the lunch? So actually, although I've taken that on as a bit of a hobby, it's actually been a really good sort of way to that, that I can see local people actually becoming interested in the club, whereas before it just wouldn't really have happened. So I think, you know, social media for everybody is such an important factor in um, promoting, especially local rugby. Um, it's it's so important. 100%. And as an onlooker looking in, you seem like a, a club that are really hands-on with the community. And I see most weeks you do, let's say, guest speakers coming in. I see Nathan Dokes coming in this weekend. I think, how, how did that come about? And it's really something I think that other clubs could really, really look at and take example from. I think we've, we have tried to do it over the last few years. Um, and I think it's just been difficult with COVID and, and prior commitments. I think um, Paddy McAllister coming in, he's, he's quite a few contacts from his time at Ulster um, and Connaught um, and Gloucester. So actually has the contacts. We've had a few clubs, Connaught and um, Scarlet's actually trained with ourselves um, at, at Derrimore. Um, and then obviously with the guest speakers, he's just been able to contact boys and just see if they'd actually do it. Um, and I think just getting one person through the door was great. But we've actually managed to get sort of nine or ten speakers and um, we've had sort of not just you know Nathan Doak or or you know um, Chris Henry come through the door but you know you've had sort of Jimmy Nesbitt and things like that have all been around the club which has been really nice to see that these sorts of people are having interests in the club um, and yeah it's obviously the star attraction is going to be your your international players your professional players everyone's the year how do you become a professional especially if you're a young child so it's actually good having you know parents there of the minis dads and things and um, I think Paddy's been really instrumental in that to be honest. Absolutely and Christian it's been a pleasure having you on I'm afraid that is all we have time for today and I thank wish you. you all the success now for the rest of the season and the best of luck with everything. Cheers all the best now thank you. And to all of you out there, this is all that we have time for this week, but make sure you join next Wednesday at 8pm where we will have another in-depth look into all things Irish rugby. Thank you.